This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Chapter number two, we're continuing our series through the book of Romans. Uh, We find ourselves, after 12 months, at the completion of chapter number two, which which puts us officially one-eighth of the way through the book of Romans. And so, that's cause for celebration. I think it's good. Uh, So, uh, anyways, we're getting into chapter three next week. It's really exciting as we start a brand new chapter. If you're missing the message so far, you can always get caught up on our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, or you can download the Who We Call It app to your mobile device. Uh, I'd encourage you to do it that way, um, and that way you can stay caught up to date on all the messages that we have in this series. Uh, today we find ourselves talking about circumcision and covenants, and does it even really matter, part two. If you missed part one last week, no problem. We're going to get you caught up to speed really quickly. Uh, we're going to go really kind of a brief review and then dig into uh, the remainder of this uh, section this morning. Uh, And so uh, we're taking a look at uh, really covenants and circumcision and and what that means for us as Bible-believing Christians today. Uh, We're going to start in verse number 17 in Romans chapter 2, read through the end of the chapter. As we get to verses like 25 through 29, you might get a little bit confused because it's uh, a lot of um, focused reading that you'd have to do to really process what it means. Don't worry about that. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to parse through this uh, word by word uh, towards the end of today's message. So uh, don't get too hung up on what the text says right now. We're going to go back and, and take a look at that later because it could get confusing. Romans chapter 2, we're starting verse number 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So Paul is speaking primarily to Jewish believers here that are a part of the church at Rome. Verse number 18, and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through the breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles through you as it is written. Now, verse 17 through 24, really important. It's going to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about today. The Jews knew what they were supposed to do, but they weren't doing it. They were telling other people, hey, you need to obey the law, but they themselves were not obeying the law. Hey, you shouldn't commit adultery, but they were committing adultery. Hey, you shouldn't steal, but they were actually stealing. And Paul says in verse 24, hey, you make God look bad. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse number um, 25. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law... But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? 
And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of the, and the circumcision does transgress the law. Now again, this might be confusing. We're going to get through it, I promise you. Uh, just hang tight with me for a second. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, but whose praise is not of men, but of God. So we took a look at last week, what the covenants of the Bible have to do with us as Bible-believing Christians. If you remember by way of review, there was the Adamic covenant. When when people talk about covenants, they're not really sure. Uh, Some theologians disagree whether the Adamic covenant was actually a covenant or not. Uh, But if we want to count that, we can count that. Then we count the Noahic covenant where God says he's not going to destroy the the earth again with a flood. Uh, He gave us the rainbow as a sign of the Noahic covenant. Then we get to the Abrahamic covenant where God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, uh, reaffirmed that in Genesis chapter 17. Then we get the Mosaic covenant where God gives the law to Israel and God tells them how he wants them to behave according to the law. That was the Mosaic covenant. Then we get to the Davidic covenant, uh, which God made a covenant with David that he would establish his throne forever uh, and the, the rule of his throne would know no end, a prophecy of the coming Messiah who would sit on the throne of David. And then we finally get to the new covenant, which is really important to you and I. Uh, The new covenant would be uh, God's covenant that he establishes with all mankind, that all the world would be saved through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we would say that we are currently living under the terms and conditions of the new covenant. Now, it's really important that we understand all of this because we need to know how did we wind up where we are today and why does any of this even really matter? Uh, is circumcision a thing for Christians today? Uh, should all of us have our male sons circumcised according to Scripture? Uh, is that even a thing for us today? We'll take a look at that uh, in today's message. First of all, we see that uh, the Abrahamic covenant was the beginning of God's establishing his people through Abraham. God always wanted a group of people that would be his, that would belong to him. That all started through the person of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was a believer in God, a follower of God. Now again, you have to understand at this time, uh, Abraham was following God, uh, I don't want to say arbitrarily, but he didn't have a lot of guidance, if you will. Abraham did not have the law. He didn't really understand God's moral law, if you will. Uh, He didn't really understand uh, the things that you and I understand about the nature and the character of God. He was just kind of walking by faith day by day. And the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Hebrews that Abraham was justified or saved by his faith. And so God tells Abraham, hey, I need you to get up and go. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham's kind of confused. Uh, He and his wife are close to 100. They don't have children. They can't have children. And so when God says he's going to make a great nation out of Abraham, he's frankly a little bit confused. And so God enters into a covenant relationship with Abraham. Covenants are unique in the fact that they're not like contracts. In a covenant relationship, if one party breaks their end of the agreement, the other person will still maintain and fulfill their end of the covenant. Again, by way of review, a covenant refers to the act of God in freely establishing a mutually binding relationship with humankind. Through the covenant, God bestows blessings on humans in conditional and unconditional terms. Conditionally, God blesses humans as they obey the terms of the covenants 
unconditionally God bestows blessings on humans regardless of their obedience or disobedience to the terms of the covenant. So God says, I'm going to set up some rules and guidelines. If you follow them, I'm going to bless you. If you don't follow them, I'm still going to continue to bless you, but I wish that you would follow what you had agreed to on your part of the agreement. That's a covenant relationship that God uh, made with Abraham, with Noah, uh, with Adam, with David, and now with you and I through the new covenant as well. Now, God made a covenant to give Abraham three distinct things. Again, this is all review for us so far. Land, a seed, and a blessing. God says, I'm going to give you a land that is yours, that belongs to you. When the children of Israel would go into the promised land, God told them, everywhere your foot sets uh, on the land, that's yours. Everywhere you walk, that land belongs to you. I'm going to give that to you for your nation. God promised to make of Abraham uh, a seed that would, would spawn a nation. A great nation will come with you from you that will number like the stars in the sky. Um, man, I'm going to make of you a nation, a people. And Abraham's just like, okay, you say this, but I don't even have a son, uh, much less a nation. God says, I'm going to do that. And then the final part of the Abrahamic covenant that's really important to you and I is the last part. God says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so this blessing that he promises uh, to Abraham really will later be fulfilled in the new covenant, which is really important to you and I. This blessing that he promises that all the nations through the world would be blessed through Abraham is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, that Jesus Christ will come, will pay for the sins of mankind, and will allow us uh, to know God in a way that other people have never known God before. You see, that part, that blessing is really important to you and I because you and I were not automatically born into the family of God. You and I were actually born enemies of God. Because you and I have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, Romans tells us. Because of that, we have not made our way to God, but we've pushed God away from us because of our sin. Now, all of us have sinned. That puts us at odds with God on opposite ends of the spectrum. God is righteousness and holiness, and he is repelled by sin. So you and I cannot come close to God if we wanted to because of our sin. Also, by the same token, whenever we break God's law, there's always consequences. Anytime you break any law, there's consequences. For example, I happen to know, I've saved you the, the time in doing the research for you, that if you park in a parking spot that requires a parking meter, but you don't put money in the meter, the cost is $35. I did the homework for you to let you know so nobody ever has to make that mistake. Good news, uh, if you come to any of our uh, gatherings here at the church, they don't check uh, parking meters on Sundays. They don't check them on Wednesday nights. You're in the clear. If you parked in a parking spot and didn't put money in the meter today, you're A-OK. -okay. But in the event that you do the Monday through Friday, uh, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., the cost is $35, unless you park in a red zone. For example, the type of red zone that's directly in front of the church, right? If you were to park in one of those, the cost is not $35, it's $55, how do I know that? I did all the homework for you so that you don't have to make the same mistake. But here's the thing. If you break the law, you have to pay the consequences, right? That's a, that's a no-brainer. How do we think that we can break God's law, yet there's never any consequences? That would be foolish, right? The Bible says that, that we can't escape God's judgment. And so because I've broken God's law, and you have as well, we must pay the penalty of our sin. What is the penalty of our sin? Death 
and judgment. So you're going to die one day. I'm going to die one day because we've broken God's law. But that's not the end. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. So you and I will stand before a holy God, and he's not going to ask us, you know, what you might see in the movies or what, what you might read in a book or something like that of, hey, why should I let you into heaven? God doesn't need to quiz you. God doesn't need the answer to those questions. He already knows. If you have sinned against God, you deserve to go to hell. Bottom line. Now, unless someone else has paid the penalty for you, you're going to go to hell, period, because that's what we deserve. That's God's righteous judgment on the sin of mankind. But here's the good news. You can have someone else pay for you. Now, I can't pay for your sin because I already owe God for my sin. There's nobody in this world that doesn't owe God for their sin, so no one else in this world can pay for your sin. This church cannot pay for your sin. You can't do enough religious works uh, to measure up to what you must uh, pay back to God. But there was one person who was able, because he had perfectly fulfilled the law of God, who was able to pay for your sins, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came and took my place in God's punishment. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That means this. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished because of my sin. Jesus was punished for my sin. I was supposed to endure God's wrath, his anger and judgment against my sin, but Jesus took the wrath for me in my place. And he did the same thing for you, but here is the most important thing in the world. If you hear nothing else out of today's message, you have to hear this. You must personally make a decision where, whether you receive or reject Jesus' payment. That's totally up to you. I can't make that decision for you. I wish that I could. You must come to a point of faith where you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. I believe that he rose again on the third day, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. you got to do that. And if you do, the Bible calls that being born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You have to be saved. And you might say, well, I'm not really sure if I'm saved or not. Then you need to know for sure today. Don't hit the double doors in the back until you're 100% sure. And sometimes people say things like, well, I don't know if anybody can really be 100% sure that they're saved. Well, the Bible says that you can. John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, even to them that believe upon his name. So, friend, you can have 100% certainty today that you are born again, that you are saved, and when you die, you're on your way to heaven. That's the most important thing in the world. Look, if you're not saved, covenants don't mean a whole lot to you. If you're not saved, sanctification doesn't mean a whole lot to you. If you're not saved, obedience should mean nothing to you because this is the primary thing, knowing that you're saved and been born again. That's the blessing that God promised to Abraham. That's the blessing that God promises to you today, new life through his son, Jesus Christ. Why do Christians get so fired up about Christmas? Because it's the birth of Jesus Christ that we celebrate. 
that without Jesus, we're still in our sins. We're still in a heap of mess. We have nothing to believe in. We don't have a source of faith. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and they asked the question, well, we know the, the roots of the Christian uh, Christmas holiday is, is paganism, and same for Easter as well. Uh, here's what I say to that. If the, the earth, the unsaved world, will take a day and set aside that to worship Jesus and remember his birth, I'm going to jump on that. If I'm going to go over to Alamona Center and hear God rest ye married gentlemen being piped out over the loudspeakers, I'm going to take that and I'm going to ride it as far as I can ride it. Uh, if we're going to say, hey, we're going to put a, a date on the calendar, nobody goes to work and we all get to give gifts uh, to remember the gift that's been given to us, man, please let me uh, partake in that. Regardless of what the roots are, we want to glorify God at Christmas time. By the same token, Easter, where we recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two of the greatest events in all of human history, the birth of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It gets no bigger than that. Like For us as Christians, it's like our, our Super Bowl, our World Series, and everything else like rolled into one. So that's the blessing that God promised to Abraham. It's the blessing that God offers to you today. And the requirement of this covenant for Abraham and all of those who would follow on the Abrahamic covenant, all those who would call themselves Jews, according to Genesis chapter 17, was circumcision of all males in the household. Now, when we talk about circumcision, we're talking about the cutting of the foreskin on the male genitals. Uh, that was the sign of the covenant. If you were a covenant uh, person, if you believed in God, if you called yourself a Jew, you had to be circumcised. This went for any male in your home. If you had a boy born into your house, eighth day, he gets circumcised to prove that you are God's people. If you have a servant who is not a Jew, who lives in your home, he needs to be circumcised if he wants to partake in the promises in the covenant of God. And here's what God says in, in Genesis chapter 17. If you're not circumcised, you're cut off from the covenant, you're cut off from the promises, and you are not a part of God's family at all. And so that's how big of a deal this was to God, uh, the act of circumcision. So that's why when we get to the, the book of Romans and the Jews are really excited about circumcision. They want everybody to be circumcised. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Everybody needs to get circumcised. And Paul says, Time out for just a second. Let's make sure that we understand what we're talking about. Under the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision was a Jewish practice that showed that you belonged to God and you were one of his covenant people. <laughs> Again, God was very specific in, in Genesis chapter 17. If you call yourself one of my people, you'll be circumcised. If you're not, you don't, and you're cut off from the covenant. You're cut off from the promises of God. This is why it was so wicked for Jewish women to marry Philistine men who were uncircumcised because their children now would be cursed because they had been cut off from the promises and the blessings of God's covenant. This is why it was wicked and sinful for a man to say, I'm not going to be circumcised or we're not going to have our children circumcised because it's like, hey, you're actually disavowing your connection to God and you're, you're partaking in the covenant. And so you're actually cutting yourself off from that and it was a huge, huge deal for them. So is that a big deal for us? No, not so much because you and I are living under the new covenant and Jesus inaugurated the new covenant that we have. Now, again, everything up to this point is just reviewed from last week, so I'm kind of cruising through this at a, a pretty good clip. 
But when Jesus established a new covenant, uh, he basically kicked off what God had already prophesied in the book of Joel, uh, what God prophesied in the book of uh, Jeremiah as well. Jesus at the Passover meal that we sometimes refer to as the Last Supper, right before Christ was crucified. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 28. He says, so this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, it's really important that we understand the word testament is synonymous with the word covenant. So when we talk about the Bible being broken into two divisions, Old Testament, New Testament, we could say that the Bible is broken into two separate sections, Old Covenant and New Covenant. That's what the word means. Testament means covenant. So when Jesus says, this is my blood, which is the New Covenant for the remission of sins, Jesus is saying, from this point forward, the New Covenant begins. And forgiveness of sin does not come from the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Now, remission of sin comes from the blood of this sacrifice once and for all. That's the new covenant. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once, speaking of Jesus, into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, the New Covenant, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that we that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ has created a a new testament, a new covenant where he is the mediator, that his blood, that his death has opened up a new covenant. Now this new covenant is important for those of us that are not Jews because under the Jewish law, You had to be a Jew, you had to be circumcised to receive God's promises, to receive God's blessings, to be a part of God's covenant. But in the new covenant, Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sins. Jesus is our high priest with God. Mankind has a direct relationship with God, and God has written his word on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So this kind of busts everything wide open for you and I. We're not trying to be like the Jews. We're not circumcising ourselves or submitting ourselves to the law, not submitting ourselves to the feast days to try to keep the law so that God can forgive our sins. No, no, no. You and I already have a sacrifice once and for all, Jesus Christ. No more day of atonement for us. You and I don't have to go to a priest to pray for us. Jesus Christ is our high priest, and every believer, every Christian is a priest that can go directly to God without any other intermediary other than Jesus Christ himself. Now we no longer have to wonder, what does the law say? The Bible says that God's written his word on our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, if that sounds familiar, it's because in Romans chapter 2, it says the Gentiles, which have not the law, do the things that are found in the law, which become a law unto themselves, is proof that God has written his law on their hearts. That's part of the new covenant that God's promised with not Israel, but with all mankind. 
when we speak of the end times and eschatology under the new covenant, the law has already been fulfilled through Jesus Christ at the end times, at the completion of this covenant. So we'll turn back to God by faith in Christ as he pours out his spirit on Israel. Uh, and again, that's a prophecy that we find in the book of Joel, uh, chapter number two, that will be fulfilled in the last days. Now, all this up to this point has been reviewed. Now we're getting ready to dig into what we find in this text here this morning. So again, remember, circumcision under the Abrahamic covenant was an outward symbol of ownership by God and obedience to his commandments. Now again, people have tried to draw correlations between baptism and circumcision. It's not the same. They, they serve two different purposes. Uh, they both are outward symbols, maybe. Uh, but to, to, make it, to draw a line where there is no line uh, isn't how we study the Bible. So in this case here, circumcision was proof I belong to God, and I'm going to obey his laws that he has commanded me. And here's where the issue arose with Paul and these believers at the church at Rome that were Jewish. Problems arise when the outward symbol no longer matches the content of the heart. Paul says, you guys call yourself Jews. You're crying out for everybody in the world to be circumcised, but you're not even obeying the simplest parts of God's law. This would be synonymous to you and I, making all kinds of outward changes in our lives, but not actually changing our hearts. Man, I'm going to go to the Christian bookstore, and I'm going to buy the biggest family Bible that they have, and I'm going to carry it under my arm to church. And when I walk up, people say, hey, how was your week this week? I'm going to say, I'm blessed and highly favored, Amen. And I'm going to call everybody brother. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, good to see you this morning. Hey, prayed for you this week. Amen, that's good. Man, when, when they sing songs, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to close my eyes. And I'm not even going to know the words, but I'm going to pretend like I'm super, like, spiritual here. And every time I hear something uh, said that, that sounds like uh, the blood, uh, the book, or the blessed hope, I'm going to say, amen, that's good. I might even pull out my hanky and wave it in the air a little bit with my big Bible under my arm. I'm going to have a Christian t-shirt that I wear that it says, it says, looks like the Budweiser logo, but it's going to say Christweiser instead. Please don't ever do stuff like that. Please. On the back of my car, I'm going to have a, a bumper sticker that's got the, the Christ fish eating the Darwin fish with the little legs out underneath it there. I'm going to listen to Christian radio all the time, and, and I'm just going to... to make it appear that I'm something that I'm not inside. I know that I'm wicked. I know it's all a lie. I know it's all fake. I continue to be steeped in my sin. I continue to chase after the things of this world, and my heart is deeply, deeply corrupt. But you wouldn't be able to tell it from the outside, that's for sure. That was precisely what was happening in the church at Rome with the Jews. They were circumcised, and they were telling everybody, hey, you shouldn't commit adultery. You can't, you can't steal you guys have got idols. You're being sacrilegious. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 time out. You might be circumcised, but you're living in opposition to God's commandments. Like, at least these other people aren't professing to be something that they're not. And so the problem with these Jews was they, they'd been circumcised in accordance with the Abrahamic covenant, but the inside of their hearts was corrupt. It was wicked. And so God begins to tell them, hey, your circumcision is not the most important part. 
And again, this goes back all the way to the Old Testament. Uh, we take a look at Jeremiah chapter 4, verse number 1. This verse might be in your notes, so you can turn there in your Bibles if you like. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse number 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then thou shalt not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. God says, hey, Israel, come back to me. If you're familiar with the book of Jeremiah, the children of Israel have gone into idolatry and wickedness and turned their back on God. And Jeremiah, who's referred to as the weeping prophet, cries and cries and cries again and again and again. Israel, come back to God. Israel, come back to God. Israel, come back to God. And they won't. And God says, if you don't return to me, you're going to go into slavery. And Israel ends up going into Babylonian captivity because God promised he was going to, to chastise them if they didn't come back. And they didn't come back. And so Jeremiah, again, crying out, God saying, come back. For thus saith the Lord to the man of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground. Sow not among the thorns. Get this. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Unless my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Notice what God says here. Hey, circumcise yourselves, but not your male genitalia. Circumcise your hearts. What does that mean? Again, circumcision was a picture of ownership to God and obedience to his covenant. God's saying, I'm less concerned with what you're doing on the inside. I'm more concerned with the condition of your hearts. Guys, give your hearts to me. Guys, obey me with your hearts, not with your keeping religious tradition. This is really important, and some of you need to get this. God is less concerned with your outward appearance than he is with the condition of your wicked heart. Look, anybody can change the outside for a day or two, a week or two, a month or two. But eventually what's in your heart is going to come out. It's going to come out in the words that you use. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's going to eventually come out in the way that you live. Jesus says that a good tree is going to bring forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree is going to bring forth corrupt fruit. Jesus goes far as to say this, a, a, a fountain can't bring forth sweet water and bitter water at the same time. And God wants you to fix your heart. And so the children of Israel are like, well, come on. I mean, like, we're circumcised. What else do you want? God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're missing the point. The purpose of circumcision was to show your ownership to me, to show that you were willing to obey the guidelines that I'd given you, but you're not doing any of those things. And so while their circumcision says that they were owned by God and obeyed his commandments, their heart disagreed. Hey, look at us, God, we're circumcised. God's like, huh. that's only the beginning. You gotta fix your heart. And so if we go back to our text, take a look at uh, Romans chapter two this morning. Again, we're gonna process through this together. Verse 25. Romans chapter two, verse 25. For circumcision verily profiteth, 
So I imagine the Jews that read this are like, oh, yeah, Paul says that circumcision is good. Paul says circumcision is actually very, very good and very helpful. And they're like, oh, see, I knew it. Circumcision is great. Hold up. For circumcision barely profiteth if, what? Thou keep the law. So if you obey every single part of the law and you never commit a sin, circumcision is very, very beneficial to you. Well, all of us have sinned, right. Well, all of us have broken God's law, correct. But if by some way you were able to magically never sin and never break the law, circumcision would actually be a really good thing for you. But if thou be a breaker of the law, which is all of us and all the Jews that were in the church at Rome, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So he's saying, your circumcision, if you're a lawbreaker, doesn't really mean a whole lot. Therefore, verse 26, if the circumcision keep the righteousness of the law, the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So again, now we get into some like, wow, this is a lot of words and I'm trying to put all this together. Get this. If the Gentile who has never been circumcised before walks in righteousness and holiness, isn't that basically the same thing as one who is circumcised under the law? Again, if they're willing to obey and prove that God is their owner, then the uncircumcised man basically is as good as the circumcised man because of his obedience. Verse 27, and shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. So get this. The uncircumcised guy who obeys God versus the circumcised guy who disobeys God. Which one is better in God's sight? The uncircumcised guy who obeys. And he says this. The uncircumcised who obeys God judges you, shows you where you're wrong shows you where you've fallen short, gives you a standard that you should live by. And so now I can only imagine these Jews are like some kind of been out of shape. They thought Paul was going to say circumcision's good, but Paul's saying circumcision doesn't amount a lot. And the uncircumcised Gentile, mind you, these were people who under the law were considered unclean, filthy, disgusting. Like there's Jews and then there's the rest of the animals. This unclean, uncircumcised guy, just because he obeys God, is better than me? Paul's saying, absolutely. I mean, talk about a, a blow to the ego for these guys. Man, well, I thought the circumcision was everything. Paul goes on, verse number 28. For he that's not a Jew, which is one outwardly, the uncircumcised guy is not a Jew from an outward perspective because he's been circumcised. Neither is that circumcision which is outward of the flesh. But get this, verse 29, here's what he says. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. And so Paul says, hey, Jews, this uncircumcised Gentile that loves God and obeys God is actually more of a 
Jew than you are. <laughs> what? Talk about being put in your place. Again, they thought, hey, we got a special relationship with God. We don't really need Jesus. Hey, we are God's people. These are unclean, filthy animals. Hey, these Gentiles even need to go through the purification that we did. These Gentiles need to be circumcised like us. These Gentiles need to obey the feasts like we did. The Gentiles need to obey the law like we did so that they can be clean like us. And Paul's like, oh, no, 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 no. They're actually way ahead of you guys. You've been circumcised, but you're hypocrites. The, the only part of the law that you've actually followed is the circumcision. You've disobeyed the rest of the covenant that God made with you. What are you thinking, guys? At least these uncircumcised guys love God. They obey God. They follow God's rules. They belong to God. And their circum, uncircumcision, for these filthy, unclean Gentiles, their uncircumcision has actually now become circumcision instead. And you circumcised... Sinners who are hypocrites, your circumcision has now basically become uncircumcision. You're the unclean, filthy ones now. And so we see the Jews actually wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised as proof of their commitment to God. So we see about Acts chapter 15 as you go through the book of Acts that Again, the book of Acts is a transitional book where we go from the, the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to New Covenant. Uh, we go from the Jews being God's chosen people to all those who are saved being God's people. And we see the beginning of the church and the doing away of the temple and the doing away of Judaism and the transition into the New Covenant, the New Testament church. Acts chapter 15, get this. Acts chapter 15, verse number one, and certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, you thought that you could put your faith in Jesus and be saved? That's not true at all. You have to put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to follow the Mosaic law. And you Gentiles that are uncircumcised, it's great that you have faith in Jesus, but you better get circumcised or you're still going to hell. And everybody's just like, hold up, what? Acts chapter 15, verse number five. But there rose up a certain sect of Pharisees which believed. So some Pharisees had put their faith in Christ and were saved. And they said, it's needful to circumcise them and commanded them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together to consider of this matter. So the church at Jerusalem has these Pharisees who say, hey, we're, we're Christians too, we're, we're believers in Christ as well, but all these new Christians that are Gentiles, they need to be circumcised, and the apostles, along with the pastoral leadership of the church, says, hey guys, let's get together and talk about this. Let's figure out exactly what's going on here. We find as Paul finds a young man by the name of Timothy to be his uh, guy that he's going to pour into, his, his young man that he's going to bring along in the ministry. Timothy's in kind of a unique position. Timothy's dad was a Greek and his mom was a Jew. And so if his dad's not circumcised and his mom married an uncircumcised guy, then Timothy by, can't be circumcised by his dad because his dad's uncircumcised. He's cut off from the covenant. 
And so Paul now has Timothy, a young guy who's coming along to help him in pastoral ministry, who's half Jew, but he's never been circumcised. And so this becomes a huge deal. And Timothy's mom was Jewish, his father was a Greek, so Paul had Timothy circumcised so as not to cause an issue with the Jewish believers. Again, to talk, I'm just trying to show you how big of a deal circumcision was during this period of time in the early parts of the New Testament. For these Jews, up to this point, circumcision has been everything to them. To now just say, oh, Jesus came, we don't need this anymore. It's just like, wait, whoa, hold up. No, no, this is the way we prove our commitment to God. This is the way we prove our obedience to God. This is the way that we prove that we are God's chosen people. And now you're saying we don't need this anymore because we got Jesus? So Acts chapter 16, verse number one, speaking of Paul, says, then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, to which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul's like, Timothy, I'm, I'm going to bring you along to help me, but this whole circumcision is going to be drama with all these new Jewish believers. You're part Jew. Let's just get you circumcised and move on. And that's what Paul did in this case here. Timothy got circumcised because he was half Jew and then went on. Now, they tried to get Titus to be circumcised, and Titus was like, oh, man, I'm a Gentile. I, I don't have to do that at all. And so then they kind of drew a line in the sand. Hey, for Jews that want to be circumcised, they can, but nobody's required to do that. But then there arose a group of people who wanted to take the Old Testament law and bolt that on to Christianity and say, oh, well, Jesus is just kind of an add-on to Judaism. And you still need to, even though you're a Gentile, even though you didn't grow up in a Jewish household, you need to obey the law, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep all the feast days, and you're still a Jew, Jesus just kind of seals the deal for all of this. And Paul's just like, absolutely not under no circumstances. And so the unbiblical desire for Jews to use Jesus as an add-on to Old Testament Judaism was the reason for the letter to the churches at Galatia. The book of Galatians is not a, a book written to a specific church like the church at Thessalonica or the church at Corinth or something like that. There were these churches at Derby, at Lystra, at Iconium uh, that were a group of churches, probably four to five churches that were in the Galatian region. And Paul wrote a letter to the churches in that region of Galatia. Now, Galatians is a phenomenal book. We preached through it on Sunday nights, I think, uh, four years ago. It's an awesome, awesome book. But it's unique in the fact that all of Paul's other letters, when he writes to the church at Corinth, hey guys, uh, it's Paul, uh, you know, hope things are well with you. Uh, writes to the church at Philippi, just overjoyed with how awesome they are, how incredible they are. He writes to, again, all the, the church at Rome we find here, hey guys, it's Paul, I haven't been there, but I'm looking forward to come. I can't wait to preach the gospel, can't wait to bless you and, and be blessed by you. <laughs> If you read the book of Galatians, Paul's just like from the very beginning, I cannot believe that you were so quickly removed from the gospel that was given to you. Like I turn my back and I turn back around and you're following a false gospel. What's wrong with you? You're following a gospel which is not a gospel. We don't have to add anything to the work of Jesus Christ. Christ is sufficient. He's everything. 
You don't need Jesus plus baptism. You don't need Jesus plus circumcision. You don't need Jesus plus the day of atonement. You don't need Jesus plus customary rules and guidelines. You don't need Jesus plus dietary restrictions. You just need Jesus. And anybody that adds something to that is just trying to put you under bondage again when you've actually been liberated by Jesus Christ. And so Galatians chapter 2, verse number 3 but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Jesus Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. Paul says there were fake Christians that came into these churches to try to force them back to Judaism. And let me just say this for just a second. This has nothing to do with today's message, but it's a helpful thing for you to make note of. In every Christian, in every church in the world, there are fake Christians who cause division. We need to be aware of that, okay? I'm not saying that some of you are fake Christians. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I'm just saying it happened in Paul's day in churches that Paul planted himself. You and I are not above that. And so people who might call themselves Christians, say that they're Christians, again, have Christian bumper stickers and wear Christian T-shirts and say amen and praise the Lord, may not be Christians, and they might be seeking to cause division. And we just need to be aware of that. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16, Paul says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, get this, shall no man be justified. Paul says this in crystal clear terms to the churches at Galatia. No one can be saved by the works of the law. Circumcision, feast days, keeping of the law, celebrations, dietary restrictions. Nobody is saved by any of that. You're saved by Jesus Christ alone. And, and please understand this, any type of false religion will try to take Jesus and add stuff to it. Again, you might have a church who says, oh, we believe in Jesus Christ, he's the savior of mankind, put your faith in him to be born again, but you must be baptized in our church to be saved. Huh. You just added something to Jesus and that automatically makes you a false religion, just automatic, out the gate. Well, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be a really good person to earn eternal life. You just added works to my salvation. You automatically put yourself in the category of being a false religion. Oh, you must believe in Jesus, but you also have to attend church X number of times. You got to go confess all of your sins to someone else. You have to do all these other things. And then hopefully one day, possibly you might be saved. You just added a whole gang of bondage to the liberty that's found in Christ. So again, it comes back to, it's all about Jesus. So Paul says in church at Rome here, if you're circumcised and you disobey God, you're effectively uncircumcised. <laughs> you just made your circumcision of, of no effect. If you're uncircumcised and you obey God, you're effectively circumcised is what Paul says. Paul is saying it has little to nothing whatsoever to do with your circumcision or uncircumcision. It has everything to do with your heart and your obedience to God. That's what it's all about. So God's no longer looking at circumcision. He's now looking for obedience and a clean heart. 
which again in the Old Testament time was circumcision was supposed to present that, but now it's the case where that's not the case at all. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called being uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Get this, what Paul says. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Hey, circumcision, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. Obeying God is everything. That's what it's about. And and again, this is just a good place to pause for just a second here and say this. As Bible-believing Christians, circumcision is not a decision that we make for for religious purposes for our children or for our families or for anybody else. It has nothing whatsoever to do with religious affiliation or religious beliefs. You choose to to circumcise your kids or not, that's 100% up to you. Don't do it based on any religious purpose. Because Paul says this, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. If you want to do anything for your kids, teach your kids to follow Jesus. That's what you do. (laughs) Why don't you circumcise your kids? Paul's like, I don't care. You just need to obey God. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And so no longer is circumcision a mark of ownership and obedience, but a changed life is. Paul's just like, I really don't care one way or the other about your circumcision. I just want you to walk with Jesus. I don't really care about your adherence to the Abrahamic covenant. We're under a new covenant now, which has nothing to do with circumcision or uncircumcision. It has everything to do with obeying God. Get this, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 13. Here's what Paul says. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. Here's this theme again. Those that are circumcised still continue to disobey. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. Paul's saying, hey, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. Have you been changed by Jesus? That's a question. Now, mind you, in the Old Testament, under the covenant, hey, a a woman wanted to date a guy and get married and look towards marriage and things like that. The question was, is this guy circumcised? Is he part of our covenant people? And if he wasn't, the answer was absolutely no, no way, no how. But get this, under the new covenant, for those of us that would maybe give our daughters to a guy in marriage, the question is not whether he's been circumcised or not. Is this guy following Jesus, and has he had his heart changed by Jesus? If not, we don't have any fellowship with darkness, the Bible says. The Bible says that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That means Christians don't marry non-Christians. Christians don't date non-Christians. For what fellowship hath light with darkness? Just like in the Old Testament, the circumcised would never have any relationship with the uncircumcised. Now, those who have been changed by Jesus Christ have no business being in relationships with those who haven't been changed by Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. So now, 
It's not about race, ethnicity, cultural background, or religious practices. It's all about Jesus now. So mind you, the church at Jerusalem here would have been full of people from all walks of life. The church at Rome, Rome was called the crossroads of the world. You have people from every culture under the sun, every different type of ethnicity. And Paul says, those things really don't matter. It's really just all about Jesus. He, he wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3, 11, and says, Where, whether there's n- neither Greek nor Jew, nor circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. <laughs> Background, don't care. It's all about Jesus. One of the things that I love about Huicala is we're such a diverse church. Uh, I, I was talking to a guy this past week, I was telling him about our church, and I said, can you imagine how boring our church would be if it was full of a bunch of middle-aged white guys from Kentucky, like, like me? That would be the most boring church in the world. Uh, for those middle-aged white guys, I love you, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, but, <laughs> but I love the fact that we have people in our church who are saved under the ministry of missionaries overseas, and they bring something unique to our church that we didn't have before. There's people who grew up in, in difficult circumstances, and they bring something to our church that we didn't have before. There's people who grew up uh, not believing in God at all and came to faith and trust in Christ. There are people who've been saved out of false religion who have come to our church. There's people who have been uh, saved in countries where it's very difficult to be a Christian who have been brought to our church, and we all have something to offer here. But it doesn't matter where you come from, what your ethnicity is, your cultural background. We're just all about Jesus here. That's why, I don't want to say never because I I don't like making absolute statements, but I can't fathom a day where we would ever have like a Filipino fellowship after church on Sunday. Like, let us all eat the lumpia. Like, it's good. Like, (laughs) share it with everybody, you know? Or we're having a Korean fellowship. If you're Korean, stay after the church, you know, hook me up with some kalbi. You can keep the kimchi, but I'll take the kalbi all day. Like, don't deprive me. Like, what? Can you imagine us, hey, we're having a middle-aged white guy, uh, you know, fellowship <laughs> after church. Why? Like, just didn't make sense. We're going to have fried chicken, you know. But look, why? Because that's not where our bond is from. Our bond is in Christ. That's what draws us together. It doesn't matter where you were born, where you come from, uh, who your dad was, who your mom was, uh, whether they were adherents to the covenant or not. Hey, you're here, and you're here because of Jesus. That's why we're all together. That's what it's about now. And so the New Testament church now under the new covenant, doesn't matter what tribe you were from, doesn't matter if you've been circumcised, doesn't matter if you were deemed unclean by anybody else, the idea is now is that it's all about Jesus. So, Anytime we read the Bible, there has to be application. We don't read the Bible for information. We read the Bible for application. What do we do with this condemnation of the, you know, Jews that thought that they were better than everybody else? A couple of things we need to ask ourselves by way of introspection, and we're done. The question I need to ask you today is this. Do what is seen on the outside match what you have on the inside? What people see, does that match what's on the inside? It's always interesting to me, people say, well, the Bible says that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. That's right. But if you want people to know Jesus, they should be able to see Jesus on the outside too. Just a thought. 
Does it match? Or are you playing a part on the outside? Again, Romans chapter 2 condemns hypocrisy. You, you call yourself a Jew, you're circumcised, but the, these filthy, uncircumcised people are running circles around you when it comes to righteousness and obedience. Does what's on the outside match what's on the inside? If it's not, fix it. Here's the thing I need you to understand too about being a hui kala. You're going to hear things that are uncomfortable, I promise you. But it's not uncomfortable in a way of condemnation. It's a challenge for you to step up in your faith. That's what I'm trying to get you to do. I would never in a million years say something to hurt you or be mean or be unkind. I just want you to take a step up. And if you're living a duplicitous life, step up. Because here's the problem. If you're duplicitous in your faith, you act one way on Sunday and you act a different way Monday through Saturday. You put on a really good show on the outside, but you know inside you're a fake and you're a phony. Here's what the Bible has to say about you. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let me just tell you, your whole life is a wreck. And the only thing that will right the ship is putting your faith in Jesus and living for him. Second question for introspection. Does your heart show ownership and obedience? I had, um, when my wife and I had first started walking with Jesus, um, we got married and there was a couple who had really poured a lot into us, Pat and Jane Smith. Um, I, owe, I owe everything that I am as a Christian to Pat and Jane Smith, the way they poured into our lives in those early years. They discipled us and loved us and encouraged us. This church wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Pat and Jane Smith. Uh, they discipled us like, like nothing else. And um, I remember I was talking with Pat. I was a newer Christian. And I said, uh, you know, Pat, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about going and getting myself a, a sleeve of tattoos. Now, mind you, this was like late 90s, early 2000s. Like nobody had that. Like that was like taboo back in the day, especially amongst Christians. I'm thinking about getting like the Romans road down this arm right here, and like John 3.16 on this road over here with like a cross and like an empty tomb over here and stuff. And he's just like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> what do you think about that? You think it's a great idea? I think I'm a really good, solid Christian witness. And <laughs> If I live to be 100, I'll never forget what he said. You know, Anthony, anybody with a couple hundred dollars to burn can get some tattoos on their arm. I think it takes a real serious Christian to live for Jesus. Oh, so you don't think it's a good idea? <laughs> and he says, I think if you were a real deal sold out Christian for Jesus, that would go a lot farther than any tattoos would ever go for a Christian witness. So you think it's a bad idea? <laughs> I just want what I want, okay? Just let me have what I want, you know? But I remember that. And in light of a message like this, it's really easy to get an outward showing, right? It's very difficult to fix the heart. Hey, circumcision for these kids that were, grew up in, in covenant homes, they get circumcised on the eighth day. They didn't know any different. It was easy for them. The difficult part was fixing their heart. Does your heart show obedience and ownership to God? Is your, does your heart really belong to God or is it divided? Like God's got his part that belongs to him, but the rest of it belongs to me. Look, you can't walk in the spirit and walk in the flesh at the same time. You just can't do it. But if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So don't have a divided heart. Give your heart to Jesus completely 
And here's the thing that people miss when they put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior. They forget that when you make Jesus Christ your Savior, you also make him your Lord. That word Lord means master. He's the boss. He calls the shots. You don't get to make your own decisions anymore going forward because Jesus Christ is Lord. Does your heart reflect that, that Jesus Christ is Lord? I hope so. Final question, get this. Since you met Jesus, has there been real change in your life? I'm thankful for the, uh, the ministry of the Gideon's ministry. They basically put Bibles in hotel rooms across the United States, and really across the world, I think. Phenomenal ministry where they just go and put out a lot of Bibles. If you've ever been in a hotel room in the back of one of those Bibles, there's a, a sinner's prayer at the end. And I'm thankful that they would put something in there to kind of guide people towards what it means to put faith in Christ and stuff like that. But the problem is, is I think many people might see the quote sinner's prayer as an incantation that we say. I'm going to say these specific words and then that'll, that'll make sure that I get to heaven. We don't ever find a sinner's prayer in, in the New Testament at all. We find people confessing their faith in Christ. We see people repenting of sin, which is done maybe in a sinner's prayer. I'm not against a sinner's prayer as long as people understand what they're getting into. Uh, sometimes, again, I encourage people to pray and repent of their sin and ask God to save them. There's nothing wrong with that for sure. But you notice in the New Testament that the evidence of true Christianity was never found in people who had prayed a specific prayer. Evidence of Christianity was always seen in the people who had changed their lives. You take a look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus made his living stealing from people. That's what he did. He's a tax collector. Dirty, rotten, filthy job. And when he met Jesus, you know what he says? Hey, everybody that I've ever stolen from, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. I'm done with this life. I don't need that anymore. I'm a different man now. And he changed his life. How do we know for sure that the Apostle Paul was saved? Because he was on the road to Damascus getting ready to persecute Christians, and then he stopped and became a missionary, church planter, and preacher of the gospel. His life changed. You take a look at the Philippian jailer. It was his job to put Christians in jail and persecute them. What did he do? He put his faith in Christ and went home and told his family about Jesus, who put their faith in Christ, and they all got baptized together evidence of a change in their life. I got saved when I was nine, okay? I didn't have any great grievous sins to repent of. I wasn't smoking crayons on the playground or playing poker in the back with lunch money or anything like that. Like, like, but I realized at nine, I've broken God's law. I'm deserving of God's judgment, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Now, from nine to 45, I should be able to see some change in my life. Not this massive turn like, oh, I was on drugs before and I don't do drugs anymore. No, no, no. I should be able to see from a 45-year-old man to a 40-year-old man, I should be able to see change in my life. If Jesus really has saved me of my sins and he is the Lord of my life, I should be able to see measurable change in my life. When Angel and I first started walking with Jesus, man, I had a filthy, filthy mouth. Uh, I grew up in, in a Christian home, but with the public school. Uh, all my Christian friends cursed uh, I rode the, the public bus to, to school, public school. I cussed. I joined the Navy. We learned to cuss like sailors. Um, and uh, just filthy. But then I realized I can't 
live like this if I truly call myself a Christ follower. If I really want to walk with Jesus, I can't live like this. I have to stop. And, and by the grace of God, over a period of months, I, I gave that to Jesus, and God changed my mouth and changed my vocabulary. And I haven't used a curse word in over 20 years, like ever. Like I had a van fall on my hand and split my fingers open, had 25 stitches in it. And I said, oh, my soul, <laughs> when it happened. No lie, like... Like, in my greatest moment of grief, the word that come out was not a curse word. Just God just changed my heart and changed my mouth. Here's the problem. If I've been walking with Jesus for 25 years and I'm still struggling with, with curse words, I'm probably not growing the way that I should. If I'm still struggling with the same sin I was struggling with 20 years ago, I'm not seeing any measured growth. And the question I have to ask, is Jesus really changing my life? Because people who knew me 20 years ago should see me and be like, whoa, you're a different dude. I had a friend from high school that I talked to. I don't talk to any of my friends from high school at all. And one friend that I heard was in bad health, and I wanted to call him and share the gospel with him. And I called him, and he says, what are you up to these days? And I was just like, I'm pastoring a church in Honolulu. And he was just like, what? <laughs> you? Yeah. You found a group of people who would actually let you pastor them? <laughs> and I said, not really. I had to start the church from scratch. <laughs> and so and no one who was willing to let me pastor but he's just like, man, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, let me tell you, that's the reason why I called, because I'm going to share with you something that will change your life forever. It's the gospel. And so we got to see measurable change in our life. Paul says, guys, you got circumcised, big deal. Your heart never changed, and your heart has to change. Because these Gentiles that have never been circumcised are running circles around you because they're obeying God's word. So I want to encourage you to be a Christian that sees God at work in their lives. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, do not leave those double doors in the back until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home because it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. For those of us that call ourselves Christians, let's live like it this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.